Welcome to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast. In this edition, we'll be talking about many aspects of life, particularly health, relationships and wealth-related topics, all from a heart-centred approach. Your host, Paul Lowe, has a long and successful history of helping others through his coaching and mentoring, as well as his many charitable initiatives. He's been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from challenging backgrounds. Paul is the author of the books Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts. Listeners, a very, very warm welcome to you. Today I'm joined by a gentleman from Iceland by the name of John Thor Sigurdsson. John, very, very, very warm welcome to you, sir. Thank you so much, Pon. Thanks for having me and thanks everyone out there listening. One of the things that uh, we spoke about, uh, John, um, off air was under the title of Who is my mom when sober? Do you want to start us off on that very intriguing question, John? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's something that I've been diving into a lot in recent years as sort of um, substance abuse problems in my close vicinity have become a lot more apparent. And it's something that, um, well, as the title portrays, has much to do with my mother. So it's it's interesting and I, I hope some people out there listening can relate to this, but it's amazing how blind you can be to problems when they're too close to you. Sort of like when people say you can't see the forest for all of the trees. Um, and it sort of struck me when I started diving into the variety of issues that I could trace back to um, substance abuse and specifically alcohol abuse from my mother's side um, and in many ways both of my parents but at this point in time mostly my mother's um, how interesting it was when I started diving in and realized that if she were to go through rehab and get sober I'm not sure who the person is who'd come out on the other side and that realization struck me as something that I'd never thought of before and in an odd way the idea of her getting better was in many ways at one point scarier than her not simply because it presented itself with an unknown factor that I didn't quite know how I deal with when the time came. Mm. I can, I think this is a very timely point to come in, um, John Thor, and, and say that I resonate very strongly with what you're saying here because I had the same challenges from a very, very early age um, with with my mother, uh, with my father, even though they'd split up when I was, you know, three, four years of age. And then the my stepfather, who later um, ended up with, um, you know, with, with my mother and they ended up getting married. And then, you know, the serious, serious problems that were created thereafter. Mm. I was told something once... John Thor by a guy and you can call this a cliche you can call it you can call it what you want because obviously within labels we have to be very careful but I met a guy once at the height of my drinking because I learned to become a drinker from a very early age and this guy what happened was I was walking down the street on the way to the pub um, and this guy was passing me and we kind of looked it's a total stranger and we looked at each other and as we passed each other we both turned round and he said to me are you okay my friend and i said yeah i'm fine 
do you fancy going for a drink? And that was it. Now, the interesting part about that, John Thor, is two total strangers, and that was it. There was no other conversation than those simple words. And, he, and, I, and we laughed about it when we'd sort of stood at the bar and, you know, started to share a drink. And he said this to me, and I've never forgotten this, a drinker will always find a drinker. A gambler will always find a gambler. An addict will always find an addict. Now, as I say, you, you can label that as cliche, John Thor. You can do what you want with it. But it's something that certainly in a practical level over the years, I've kind of I found it to be true. You know, like attracts like in terms of energy. Um, so what, what's your thoughts around that? I mean, can you resonate with that in any way? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think it is quite common that not only do addicts find other addicts, no matter what um, that addiction presents itself as, but also I've found that people are often afraid to admit that in terms of what it draws out in people. Mm. And I don't think people are as afraid to admit it when it comes to narcotics and things that are illegal or controlled. But um, I was speaking to a friend not too long ago who's over the past couple of years lost a lot of weight, done a lot of work on her own um, addiction when it comes to foods and well, drinking as well. But um, what she said was that when she started dating again, um, people often criticized her as if she was being shallow when she avoided um, dating guys that had similar habits that she had before. So she would avoid people who ate a lot of junk food, etc. because she said it's so dangerous for her to get involved with someone like that because it would draw out old behaviors in her. And I think people are open about talking about it when it comes to drugs, but especially in the UK, I've noticed drinking culture is so socially accepted that often people don't realize that there's a problem there. They just say, oh, man, he can drink. He's so fun on a night out. He buys everyone drinks. He gets you know, completely ruined by the end of the night. And people sort of turn a blind eye because it is such a big part of people's social lives. But like you said, it is people finding those who want to do the same. And there's, you know, if we look at Tony Robbins' six human needs model, John Thor, this, and, you know, the need yeah. for certainty, um, sticking with that sort of better the devil you know kind of approach, even though you know, and I, and I was very aware of this throughout my drinking, which lasted decades, um, I was very aware of that. And to the point where people used to say to me, Paul, but, you know, when you're off it, you're a high-flying business entrepreneur, you're this, you're that, you know. And But some of the people you mix with. And my retort on that was, do you know these people? Do you know what they've been through or what the story is or what the... Don't judge them because it's a very, very, very thin line that they're for the grace. So don't judge but that said, John Thor, there is that, you know, there is that certainty, isn't there, with sticking with your own and, you know, um, the fact that, you know, you, I, I did, I can, you know, I'll take ownership of what I did. Um, but when I buried my head in the bottle, I was really, you know, uh, dumbing my own pain, my own suffering. Um, because at the time, I didn't know how, how to deal with it any better. You know, I'd Absolutely. had so-called professional help which quite frankly was a waste of time. They they couldn't reach me at all. They talked at me rather than to me. And that was never, ever going to work. I think it works for some people. It was never going to work for me. 
Um, so there was this whole kind of, okay, well, I'll seek solace and I'll seek certainty. I'll meet my need for certainty in, you know, surrounding my people that won't ask anything of me because all I've got to do really is drink. That's it. You know, whether I fall over, make a fool of myself, fight, sing, you know, whatever I do is kind of expected. You know, there's a very, very, very broad spectrum, isn't there, in terms of acceptable behaviour, um, you know, when you're drinking and in that fraternity. And it's more or less anything will do, really. And so there's yeah. that. I haven't got to try, really. I can get off the social responsibility bus and just be who I think I am. Yeah, and I think as well on your point about um, the devil you know and that need for certainty, um, it's something that I find very interesting when you start diving into um, people's perspectives and the questions they ask around addiction in general because a lot of people focus on, I guess, the what people are running towards. They think, oh, they just they love the feeling of being inebriated or being high or something like that. But you touched upon a really important thing. You were trying to deal with something or escape something that you didn't know how to escape. Mm -hmm. And what I've found in any of, um, any of my clashes with either addiction and others, mental health for myself, is that you can view mindsets as a towards or away mindset. Mm. Uh, for years and years, I saw myself as driven by an away mindset of my fear of insignificance. I wasn't running towards feeling significance. I was just deathly afraid of feeling insignificant. Yeah. But the thing is, when you run away from something, you don't have a destination. And you can just keep running forever without ever escaping. And I think a lot of people get stuck in the vicious cycle of addiction because they're constantly running away from something with no end in sight. And it was really, really interesting to see um, a, a member of my extended family got sober around the same time as I started becoming more aware of my mother's problems. And I remember that person coming to me and saying that, they can't believe they didn't get sober sooner. Now they can do this, do that. Suddenly they had this mission. They had this real tangible reason for why they wanted to be sober. And they saw such a, an amazing difference between what they had in life while being sober versus what they had before. Whereas I think for, for my mother, I think she's, she is still stuck in that away mindset she doesn't have something that she sees herself striving towards and no matter how much myself my siblings or even my dad might hope that she's hit some sort of bottom and now there's no way to go but up to be honest until she sees it that way until she sees a tangible destination to run towards she'll keep running away yeah yeah absolutely yeah it's interesting what you say there, John Thor, about that hitting rock bottom because, you know, I've heard this said that until you hit rock bottom, you can't climb. Um, I think we have to be careful about sweeping statements like that. That said, in my case, 10 years ago, that was actually true because I thought, quite frankly, I thought I was going to die. And it was a very, actually a happy occasion that, you know, it wasn't a... Um, a death or something which I thought I'll bury my head in the bottle. Um, it was a happy situation where I thought I'd paint the town red. But what my body was saying is, Paul, 
you can't do this anymore. And it's been telling you for years, you cannot do it. Um, and then it was that sort of conscious decision. Okay, if I pull through this, and I kind of knew that as bad as I was, um, John Thor, I would pull through it. And that was enough for me to say, right, it's over. This is over now. You know, and apparently within the, uh, you know, the uh, the recovery culture, you cannot make a statement like, I will never touch the drink again. It's one day at a time. The paradox for me on that, John Thor, is my life is one day, one moment at a time. But in terms of making a statement like, I will never touch the drink again, I make that statement and I own that statement. So, yes, I live in the moment with my life generally. But where that particular statement's concerned, I own it and I make that and I broadcast it. Whether people like it, don't like it, agree with it, don't. It's my truth inside. And it is that's, you know, that is a classic example, really, of, you know, one of the things when, when we talk about what does speaking from your heart mean to you? For me, John Thor, that is what's one of the aspects of speaking from from my heart in terms of this fascinating conversation around the um the demon drink and i think paul you you've touched upon something really interesting there because i've heard the same about um certain especially um i guess specialist organizations around recovery being very much against the sweeping statements yet i've heard a lot of sweeping statements within there that um contradict themselves in that way for example like you're saying not not um wanting sweeping statements but at the same time not wanting people to say that they'll never do something. Whereas for me, I see your statement of never touching the drink again. That's much less of an empty statement and more of a fulfilling aspiration. You see who you want to be. And yes, you're taking it one day at a time, but that doesn't mean you don't have a long-term goal or a strategy towards it. And you seeing what your life can be without it surely even taking it one day at a time having that long-term approach must mean being able to make that statement that you'll never go there again absolutely you know to me it brings in the the question of setting our intentions looking you know looking in front and and you know and that whole concept of of unity or oneness versus duality because the paradox is for me and I'm, you know I'm just mindful of we don't fly too far off off pat here John Thor but you know that sort of for me be able to make that unified statement that very assertive intention this is this is my way forward this is what this is who I am this is part of it I own it it's part of my identity the duality of the situation is drink and and, and temptations all around you know um but I don't shy away from it anymore. It's not that I will not give that. You see, this for me is is an important message about whether it's drink, drugs or, or whatever it is, is don't give that fear that power. Don't face it head on because it's like a cowardly bully. It will hide. It will. It's a very clever one and it'll catch you. And I, I actually wrote a poem about the demon drink that got published. And I actually described it in these very graphic terms as being like a cowardly rapist that hides up a dark alleyway ready to pounce on its next victim. Now, that was quite strong, quite controversial. But for me, I know the snideness of the drink and the demon drink and how it plays with the mind. And OK, and that classic statement, one won't hurt. And you know full well it will. 
I did anyway, because I could. I was very much a binge drinker. Um, and I could almost tell you, because it was this kind of psychological dependency, when I would be on it and when I would be off it. And I knew that, you know, if I was off it, wild horses would not drink me to it. But if I was reaching the end of my kind of six months abstinence and somebody said, I don't know, two or three days early, one won't hurt. It won't, will it? It'll be okay. But I knew full well that actually, yeah, it will. Because what that is, Paul, you've knocked that first metaphoric domino over. Here you go again. Now it's six months on the drink, throwing away your relationships, throwing away your... All your, all your sort of career, your money, everything, ending up on a park bench. And it was all this whole polarised existence of, interesting word you used earlier on, John Thor, about mindset of what I called my black and white years. Mm, no, absolutely. And I think as well, you're absolutely right in saying that it is that first domino. It, it may seem harmless if you don't think about it at all but in reality it's because you're willing to indulge in it and there's a part of you that desperately wants to right mm. oh yeah absolutely because for me and i can look back on it now and i know this from speaking to you know countless other people it's it's that crutch for not pain because i think pain relatively speaking is okay for all of us it's okay pain is because we can learn great lessons from pain what we can't learn from and what is totally unacceptable is suffering. And I was suffering. And it was a way of numbing, dumbing down. Me being this alter ego, this something. I didn't actually know who I was anyway. But I become somebody else. And you can call it Dutch courage because I fancied myself as a bit of a Mario Lanza, the great tenor. Because I had the courage to sing in a pub when I was drunk. Because then I didn't really care what anybody thought about me. Um, so this, this, you know, whilst we're talking about, obviously, the drink predominantly, John Thor, I think there's a far deeper, um, far deeper learnings here and insights in terms of how we masquerade who we truly are, because we don't want to, you, you alluded to it perfectly at the top of this conversation, you was a bit scared as to what you might find out, find out if your mother actually turned. Who would she be? Your certainty would be taken away. Now, all of a sudden, you're into uncertainty. What would that mean for you? And in terms of that self-preservation, you know, isn't it true that, yes, we may love our, you know, our nearest and dearest, our children, partners, mother, father, whatever, but when we're threatened as an individual, that kind of self-preservation, how that kicks in, even above our own our own loved ones. So I kind of hear you very strongly on that, John Thor, when you said that. And for me, the drink was that. It allowed me to be somebody else because actually I didn't like who I was. I didn't know who I was, but who I thought I was, I didn't like it. I was full of loathing and self-discovery because all the things I'd been told from a, ver a very early age, I actually believed. I'd been given these labels by my stepfather. You are a useless waste of space. Nobody will ever love you. You're pathetic. You're useless. And by the way, for being that way, let me give you a good hiding and let me punch you again and humiliate you again. And by the way, boy, let me do the same to your mother day after day after day, after day. And I grew up believing, John thought that was normality. So the drink 
um, or drugs for us, I think, is, 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 is an escapism from the harsh reality of, of suffering, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think, um, like I touched upon slightly uh, before we started recording earlier, I think it's interesting. One of the things I've found when speaking to others with vaguely similar backstories is that um, no matter how different the experience of living with the drinker or the addict or however you want to put it, um, certain things seem to resonate with everyone. And those things tend to be, for example, like you said, you take certain truths with you as a given, whereas you might never question them unless something comes straight into your face and challenges you too. Mm. And and for me, for example, I I did not have a physically abusive relationship with my mother. However, the more I look back, I see how the way that she spoke to me, the way that our relationship dynamic was, was deeply unsettling and changed the way that I saw myself and how I acted in relationships with others, whether that's friends, colleagues, even my wife. And with that in mind, it just um, it impacts you on a level where I didn't realize some of these things and I didn't realize how big a part of me had been impacted by this until um, my mom sort of made the transition, if you will, from being a functioning alcoholic to non-functioning. And I started realizing that the problems that we saw come up then had been in many ways problems that were prevalent or at least present throughout all of my life just on a smaller scale and an easier to ignore scale as as bad as it is to say it like that but it's it's something that's easy to look past when it's something like you said when it's your normal when it's been normalized to the point where it's not that noticeable to people outside the family where it's things that you don't realize until you start talking to other people about their childhoods and find out that certain things in yours weren't quote-unquote normal. Mm. And I think the biggest con of all in a situation like this is, is you actually con yourself because I'd get to a stage in, and, and well, regularly got to a stage where I could be out, you know, I mean, when I was out drinking, it was kind of round the clock. And as I say, I just, I got off the bus of society. I'd be on a park bench till, the, you know, the pub's open the next day. I'd have a bottle with me, whatever, you know, usually with a group of guys and that kind of thing. But what what's kind of interesting for me, John Thor, with this is, you know, when you do get off that bus, for me, I still had that realization that how do I get back on the bus then? And I was looking for that spark, that reason. And okay, you know, I led that very sort of polarized black and white existence for many years, but somehow still had that, there was still some light shining somewhere and I believe that that light, based on the conversations I've had with so many people in real desperate, they kind of can relate to that. And I think it's about inspiring people and coming at it from, you know, from what might seem a totally innocuous angle. And let me put that into context, context, John Thor, of what I call the pebble in the shoe. You know, mm. that's such a small thing that's in our shoe but it causes so much suffering. And the more we go down our path, the more and more and more we suffer until there might be that metaphoric breakthrough of, well, actually, 
this belief that you've got that you're not loved or you'll never be good enough or you're a useless waste of space or, or what, where did that come from? You know, the power of beliefs. And I think just by that simple insight of sharing that with people and actually putting that metaphoric arm around the shoulder. I mean, every dynamic's different, of course, and I'm talking about some generalizations here. But that taking that pebble out of the shoe, once you've identified where that pebble is, can be very, very, very liberating to the point of why on earth did I ever pick a drink up in the foot? What does it ever do? You know, it, it's very expensive. It's very expensive to our health, more importantly. What is the point? Yeah, but I guess in so many instances, like you said before, in terms of the suffering, when it's not pain but suffering, it, it, you know, it becomes the devil you know. Mm. It becomes the way to escape. It becomes that crutch to lean on. And when you don't know how to fix something and giving up drinking on its own may not be the one thing that fixes everything. And I think certainly for a lot of drinkers that I've spoken to, there's been, there's been something else that they've needed to deal with or take on or face that simply removing the drink from the equation still leaves them in a state where to, to your point earlier, someone would just have to nudge them a little and ask, do you want one? Mm. But once they've actually faced that demon of theirs or that fear or childhood trauma, whatever that may be, they, they're more, they're more well, they're better equipped to deal with what life is like sober. Absolutely, and I agree with that because the, the, the drink or the drugs or the crutch, call it what you will, is is the effect the cause and if we can be allowed to sort of use a different metaphor with you know a computer the cause is the virus in the c drive so it's no good changing the words on the screen on a word document that ain't going to change everything what we've really got to do is go down into the c drive and change things there and, and that's where for me the pebbles exist the, the the result of that john thought is the drink then becomes totally irrelevant just to pack the drink up for the sake of packing the drink up it's never going to work it's it's superficial i suppose it's what uh, um simon sinek could call the big why you know why are you packing the drink up well for me it was actually i've realized how badly i do want to live and how much i've got to give and for, you know, the biggest part of my life, as, as, as bad as it was at times, because I allowed it to be, um, I still had that kind of, yeah, but it's, it's a good life at times. And, and I think that's, you know, it's, it's kind of wrapped up, John, for in what you said about, you know, do we run away from things or do we run towards? And that, for me, nicely dovetailed into that bully that, you know, whether it's the drink or the drugs, that's only the, the symptom. What is underneath that? Where can we go there and find out why you're doing that? Why? And, and that's, that's the big one, isn't it? Where is, where is that virus? Where is that pebble in the shoe? Where? Uh, or more importantly, why is it there in the first place? And then when we know that, um, then, you know, things like packing up drink, drugs or whatever it is, becomes i don't think it even becomes a choice it just becomes a natural progression 
Yeah, because you're removing your need for it in a way. You're removing what cost you to require it in the first place. It's to to your virus example, you could also look at it as a human body. If you've got an organ that's infected by something, you don't attack the organ. Mm. You attack the infection. Taking into a, into account, John Thor, all your rich life experiences and and uh, you know challenges with with this, um, and I really do empathise massively. Um, I mean, my mother used to self arm in a sort of uh, more desperate phases, but there again, that wasn't about the drink. The drink was the numbing pain, and that's when I learned at a very early age. Oh. Well, she was a secret drinker as well. Oh, I'll do that then. So I used to help myself to, you know, a, a tots of sherry and whiskey and, and all that kind of thing. But she'd self-harm and all that emotional abuse that, that, you know, kind of I grew up thinking, yet again, was normal. So, you know, obviously if, with what you've shared here, John Thorne, I really do thank you for this share. Uh, and I just hope that, um, I suppose from my own point of view, I've not been too subjective and got wrapped up in my own story too much but I think at the same time it was important to share in the hope that you know listeners can take something or some glimmer of of hope about you know whether they're going through that directly themselves or you know for a, um, somebody like the mother or a loved one that's suffering so that leads me to ask John Thor from all your experiences of, of, of where you are in life at this moment in time in the context of what we've been talking about, if you could deliver one, just one powerful message to our listeners, what would it be? I'd say if there was one message and one message alone, it's think about the questions you're asking. And what I mean by that is whether you're talking about the to or from mindset, whether you're talking about your your loved ones who might be suffering from whatever addiction it might be or yourself with other addiction or mental health don't just ask how can i stop ask why are you doing what you're doing ask what caused this to get here ask what you're going towards or away from because so many times we we ask ourselves such poor questions and Questions are the genesis of our focus, of our of our mindsets. The questions we ask that directly influence the way that we see the world. And if our questions are poor and we're asking ourselves the same things over and over again and not getting the answers we're looking for, the problem isn't with us or whoever we're asking. The problem is with the questions being asked. And similar to what you said earlier, Paul, about... Um, you being spoken at rather than with when being offered advice on, on your drinking, asking better questions could have maybe uncovered what you needed at that point in time in order to be able to take those steps towards well-being. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's part, you know, ask big questions, you get big answers, and big answers change lives, definitely. But, you know, just to reinforce, I suppose, John Thor, a point that you made quite rightly is that, uh, you know, we do, sometimes and very often we don't know what we don't know. And I think it's up to to people that have trod that path, that share that empathy, have that compassion to say, do you know, and this is kind of part of my story as well, that it took me decades. But do you know what? It can actually, knowing what I know now, it can be done in a heartbeat. And, and, I, and I believe that and I own that statement. And 
and I suppose that's what we'd ultimately, um, you know, we learn and, and you know, we, we might be able to term that wisdom. I don't know. But that's part of our role, isn't it? That, you know, to share information like this, to share emotions, to share vulnerability and, and to speak from our hearts and say to people, look, whatever you're going through today, you know, there is always darkness at night, but tomorrow the sun might be shining. So there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in this. You know, I think from, from I mean, for me, John thought it's been a fascinating conversation and one that I think we've actually barely scratched the surface on. Um, you know, we, we could dig really deep on this. So, you know, I'm sure that, um, you know, as we progress, uh, I'd certainly love to invite you back on and we, you know, we, we, we dive a bit deeper on the, you know, the actual sort of cause rather than the effect, if you like. So uh, thank you very much indeed for your time, John Thorpe. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. Really appreciate uh, being on. And thanks to all the listeners out there. And listeners, as I always sign off with, whatever you do in life, always walk your path with heart. Hearts, helping everyone achieve results towards success.